This morning's Bible reading, it's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is God's word. If you keep that open, that'd be a great help. Uh, Good morning, my name's Simon. Uh, Great to see you all here this morning. Um, And before we begin, should we pray? I'll lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, our prayer this morning is that we would leave um, loving you more deeply and loving one another more deeply. Amen. And we're being summertime at the moment. I know uh, some of us have a chance to uh, head on an airplane and head abroad. And I was online um, a couple of weeks ago looking at some different uh, airline services, and I came across a few different vision statements, um, some airline vision statements kind of saying, um, this is what we're all about. Um, So here's the uh, first one I came across. Who's this? To become the world's most responsible airline. British Airways, correct. The wannabe school prefects of the airline world. Apparently that's their business vision statement. Um, Next one. To embrace the human spirit and let it fly. Virgin, correct. Two out of two over here. Well done, well done. Take some uh, billionaire CEO who's kind of the king of cool to have that, doesn't it? Um, And then number three. We set out to do it our way. Not Malaysian Airline, no. EasyJet. I think that's so when you want to complain to someone, they can just point to that and say, well, I'm sorry, sir, we do it our way. And then having had three quite kind of zippy, tight um, statements, I um, I was quite impressed with this fourth one. To offer low fares that generate increased passenger traffic while maintaining a continuous focus on cost containment and efficiency operation. Ryanair. Ryanair. You know, Ryanair, this is what we do. We keep prices low. We keep prices low. It's kind of, if they're not doing that, then kind of what are they doing? You turn up at Gatwick Airport and uh, and your flight you thought to France was going to be, I don't know, 65 quid or something. And they say, I'm sorry, sir, it's actually going to be 500 pounds. And you go, well, it's not exactly like you're giving me an excellent menu or anything that is legroom. I'm basically sitting in one of these chairs down here at the front. 
No offense, you work for Ryanair, by the way. I'm sorry. Um, but, you know, they're saying, this is what we do. If they're not offering you low, low prices on their fares, it's like, what are they doing? Well, how about for us as a church? What is the one thing that if we're not doing it, it's like, what are we doing? What is most important for us as a church? Obviously, um, actually, one of the things I really love these last um, four years or so being a part of this church family is um, just how seriously uh, we take um, Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations, um, how seriously we want to do activity and do things to that end. Isn't it lovely to be um, in this church building where I think in term time, pretty much every night of the week, um, there's something going on here, some way of um, serving people, doing ministry. Um, that's wonderful. It's wonderful to see how, how many of us are on rotors, if that's um, serving coffee, bookstore, music, um, how eager we are to help one another. Um, that is a very, very good thing. But what is the one thing from all of this and all of our church life, we take that away and so what are we doing? Well, Jesus' answer for us today is, the answer is love. Actually, love is what we need. Love's what we need most. That's what's most important. A love for God and a love for people. Because actually, um, in the section we're in, this temple section, that's what uh, the temple religion were getting wrong. So they had um, lots of religion, but it was just very loveless. Uh, lots of activity. It was a busy place in the temple, but just loveless. So... They were kind of zealously keen on obedience, and they took that very seriously in putting things into action in their lives. Um, they were very um, diligent in performing the right sacrifices. Um, they were prayers. They gave financially. They gave large sums financially. Um, they listened to teaching. They took very um, scrupulous uh, notes listening. If you like, they had lots of, lots of leaf on the tree, but actually there was no fruit. There's lots of activity and stuff going on, but no love. So Jesus, he comes into the temple and he sees everything that's going on. Not just the activity on the outside, but he sees into people's hearts and he sees what's missing. And so for these religious um, types who've been there, actually this is a deeply uncomfortable experience to have Jesus just penetratingly seeing what's really going on in the inside. So um, as a result, they've been coming at him um, these, uh, this day with kind of these punchy questions. In the last few weeks we've been considering a number of them. Um, so the atmosphere has been like a, like a very angry press corps on the um, front doorsteps of a politician. You know, that they're angry questions. They want to they trap him publicly. They want catch-22 questions. They've tried some to try and trap him with the kind of governing authorities about taxes and Caesar. They've tried some questions about um, uh, marriage and eternal life and kind of religious division kind of questions. They've tried to trap him. But so far, Jesus has stood up to every single one of their questions. But here today, the atmosphere shifts completely. Here there's a glimmer of hope in these questions. So do you notice there in verse 28 the difference? But have a look at me, please, on um, page 1018 and verse 28. So one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Do you notice some of the details there? Just... It's an individual, verse 28, one of the teachers of the law. This isn't a particular religious group with an agenda um, coming at him. It's one individual. And he noticed a good answer. But in his opinion, obviously not everyone who was there listening to it would have thought it was a good answer. But in his opinion, he thinks this is good. 
And so he asks him a question. The sense that he's open-minded, he's, he's teachable here. And actually, we can see that because he, he accepts his answer publicly in front of everyone else. Imagine the next day at staff meeting, you would have got a bit of an earful for this. He asks him all the commandments, which is the most important. What matters most to God? Because um, the religious people of the day, they were, they were very keen on getting things right. And so they um, found in the Old Testament, there were 613 commands. Okay, and they knew all of them. So there are 365 to-dos and 248 to-not-do things. So a quite common activity was kind of discuss where they rank with each other. So he asked him, okay, sum it up. What's most important? Jesus' answer, verse 29, this is most important. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Love is what we need. A love for God and love for people. I mean, you see there's the uh, structure of where we're we going in the sermon, the points. Um, apologies, they're not on your handouts. And so the teacher of the Lord's reply to him, verse 32, well said, teacher, the man replied, you're, you're right in saying God is one, there's no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Actually, more important than that activity they were wanting to do was love. Love to God, love to neighbor. And Jesus noticed this guy, he gets it. So verse 34, Jesus saw he'd answered him wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. It's a bleak section we're in generally. But here there's a bit of hope. Jesus sees that this guy's onto something. Love is what we need most. So the rest of our time, we'll consider these um, two commands to love. Firstly, to love God, and secondly, to love neighbor. So firstly, love your God. We'll begin with the who, and then we'll think about the how. So firstly, who we are to love. Verse 30, Jesus says, love the Lord your God. So who we're to love, um, it's not like the general theme of Poldark. Um, I don't know if anyone's seen the, the BBC TV show set in kind of Napoleonic times, um, 18th century kind of thing. And a number of the storylines in the show are all about um, people kind of basically being more or less forced to marry someone who they don't particularly know or love, but there's some sort of um, family, um, family going to do well out of it if that's, um, they get a bit of money or a bit of social standing in the community. And one of the characters is young Lady Morwenna, and Morwenna um, has got this nasty older cousin who's the baddie, George Warleggan. And he's basically desperate to marry her off to this particular person um, because they'll get more social standing in the local area. He tries to force her to marry this kind of pompous, slimy, nasty character. And he, he just wants her money. She's only met him once, but he will be some benefit to the family. And so she may well stand there on that wedding day with him and promise to love him, but he doesn't really feel it. And though it gives the family a bit of a long-term boost, she doesn't know him. She has no really reason to love him. The person she does love is this other character, this kind of poor minor son called Drake. Now, he, um, she spent time with him. Um, uh, she loves him. He, he, she knows his character. She knows him and she loves him. 
And so that's the kind of love commanded here. It's not a kind of coerced love to a distant figure who I guess in the long term will help me out. No, this is the love of a God you know. A God you know to be good and a God you know to be a loving God. So we can see this in that Jesus is actually quoting here Deuteronomy. He's quoting here Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy, um, God had taken the Israelites, um, God's people, he'd taken them, he'd redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. He'd guided them out of the wilderness. He'd fulfilled his promise of land he'd sworn to give them. This is a a good God. (laughs) This is a God who saved them, who's redeemed them, who's guided them, who's faithful. This is the God you're to love. Remember him? So as Christians, we're to remember the kind of God it is that we're commanded to love. The God who, though we sinned against him, didn't reject us. But Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 1 Timothy 2. The God who demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5. The God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. John 3. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. John 15. The God who didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his own life as a ransom for many. This is the good God who we're commanded to love. This is the glorious, saving God who demands our love. So the the, the who, the who is the motivation to love. It's a good God. So uh, until we know Jesus as our own saviour, until we accept him as our saviour and lord, actually we'll never feel like the kind of God we want to love. Believe in him, trust in him, and this will be your God. This will be the God you will love. So that's the who. And then how are we to love God, secondly? And that's verse 30. Love the Lord of God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Or in other words, with every bit of me, all of me. I don't think this is so much a breakdown of the human psyche so much as Jesus emphasizing the word all. It's every bit of us. So my brother-in-law recently started a new job, and so he's leafing through this fairly um, well, very lengthy um, contract. I'm going under contract negotiations I looked through all the expectations of what he will do and what he won't do. There were his hours, exactly what hours he's expected to work each week, exactly the amount of uh, work he's um, got to output, too little, too much, that kind of thing. Uh, Even down to the very small prints of his health insurance and what uh, was included in his health insurance and what wasn't, who in his family was included under it and who very much wasn't. It's all set out in the words of this job contract. And my brother-in-law, he loves his job, but it's very clear how much of him is demanded from it, by it. Now compare those words on his job contract to the words he said on his wedding day. He said beautifully big promises to his wife. He said, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. So it's an, it's an all of you kind of love, a wholehearted kind of love. And as Christians, we are to love the God who gave all of himself to us with all of ourselves to him. Christ is like that groom who stands before us and 
everything he, he has, he gives to us. Our only response can be to love him with all of ourselves. So we're to love God wholeheartedly. So as we think of applying it, perhaps two particular ways we can think about to grow in love for God. Firstly, grow in enjoying him. And secondly, grow in obeying him. So firstly, enjoying him. I enjoy God the more I know him. And I get to know him most clearly in the Bible, his word. So I'm going to say, why not make this summer a chance to get to know him better in the Bible? Perhaps personal Bible reading. If um, This might be a chance over the summer or the holidays, a bit of a break, to perhaps hit refresh on that, either get going or get re-going on that. Why not, if you're going on a holiday this summer or got a quieter patch, take one particular psalm and spend a week in it, just really meditating on it, thinking about it, brewing on it. Or take a Bible-saturated book um, and go on the beach with it when you go on a holiday. I often find a biography is helpful. Or a, um, a very Bible-saturated book like um, Matt Fuller's book, um, Perfect Sinners. He hasn't paid me to say this, by the way. Um, but it's a book, it's been written for us. And it's a book all about how I'm both still a sinner and yet loved by God and saved by him. Um, reading it is um, a deep experience of thinking about how we are declared just by God. Actually, reading it has made me enjoy God more, get to know him more deeply. It should be fresh things. Um, why not take it on holiday with you and give it a read? So fill your head with God, fill your heart with him. Because often, actually, our hearts in just normal life, we're just we're busy, and so we get filled with other things. Over time, our love and enjoyment of God can cool. So the more we fill our minds and hearts with God, actually, the more we'll enjoy him and love him. Of course, sometimes we're just we're up and down in our affections, and there's some things, maybe that, that good thing we started to do, um, actually, sometimes it feels like, great, that's exactly the thing I want to do, that serving that person or whatever it is. Obviously, other times, a minute later, it can seem like the very last thing I want to do. We're up and down. But sometimes we can just need to pause and remember, sorry, why was it I um, made this decision? Why did I sign up for this rotor? Uh, why was it I made that sacrifice I'm kind of now really feeling the pinch of? Who is the God I want to do this for? It's this God. The God who's loved me so much, he demands all my love. So firstly, enjoying him. And then secondly, obeying him. So the more I obey God, the more I will love him. That's not often what we think. Often, naturally, we can kind of think, well, why do the rules matter so much when I love him? Why would he care so much? But of course, we don't apply that to many relationships in our life. Um, I don't say, uh, a wife, why do you care that I never do what you say? Why do you care that I haven't taken the bins out for nine months? I love you. So we don't say that. I've heard it put um, before that obedience and love relate to each other like train tracks and a train engine. So the train tracks uh, point us towards a destination and the engine drives us forward. Obedience to God's laws, commands, are like the train tracks pointing us towards him and love is the engine that powers us towards him. So take one away, take the tracks away and the engine's going to go nowhere. Or the opposite take the engine away and the tracks won't get you anywhere so the more I obey God the more I will love him and actually disobedience that will kill my joy for God my love for him it will sap all the joy out of for it 
So if there are any areas of our life where we're aware we need to, where we are disobeying God, we need to repent. Where are you aware of that? So most important is to love your God. And secondly, is to love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Have a look at me, please, at verse 31. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we're to love people as I would like to be loved myself. And the reason is, it's because I love God. So the second commandment follows the first. He loves them, so I can love them. It's a bit like the difference between two people you know who have a baby. Um, maybe one's an acquaintance from know, a decade ago. Um, you're out of touch with them completely. And um, you see oh, I don't know, on Facebook say that they've, um, they've had a little baby. And you kind of think, great, great for them. But I'm not exactly going to go out and buy them a baby grow type of thing. You know, I'm not going to rush out. And I compare that difference to um, your best friend, your really good friend, that friend who's been there for you through the ups and downs, now, when that friend um, has a baby, and you can see how much that parent just loves that baby, um, you love them too. He loves them, so I love them. And as a Christian who loves God, I look at people, and I know he loves them, so I can love them. So it's on the foundation of love for God, that gives me the power to love people. So, so consider for a moment, the God I love He made people in his image. How much worth do they have? He loves them enough to sacrifice his own son. How much are they worth? He forgave them eternal sin. What could I hold against them? And so with this foundation in place, I love God. And so I love people. It it rescues us from um, ending up serving grudgingly and kind of resentfully. And it'll make it joyful. It may well feel hard. and Jesus doesn't promise it will feel easy. But it will give deep joy because I know how much God loves them. And so I love them. It also rescues us from slightly just drifting into contractual relationships. um, Kind of give and take. Only serving those who I kind of guess can give us something back that's um, friendship-wise or relationally, how they make us feel. And then, of course, we end up annoyed when they don't. If you're like, that's just not what's at the front of our minds uh, with the foundation of loving God, who loves me so much, who loves these other people so much. He loves them, so I can love them. And that gives me the power. And then who? Well, who is my neighbor? Well, obviously, the obvious thing is they're people. Neighbors are your people. So people are your neighbors. In some ways, it could be surprising to some minds that this second command follows so closely after the first. I guess we could be tempted to be in, um, end up slightly in just a, a bit of a Christian bubble, um, that we can kid ourselves that we're pleasing God because, well, um, my financial giving is in order, um, my prayer life is uh, good ticking along, my, my church attendance is, is regular, and that kind of thing. Well, actually, I'm being horribly cold to my colleagues, and I'm being really prickly with this friend. And actually, that's actually what these religious types in context were getting wrong. So they're all on top of the religious disciplines. But actually, in secret, they were devouring widows' houses. So it's not okay to have a religion that's just directed up towards God and ignores people. It can't possibly be, this is just between me and God. We're commanded to love 
people. Okay, but which people? Can I give me a category of people? Well, actually, this is where Jesus is open. He's wonderfully and slightly unsettlingly open. So there's no distinct category here of, of mile radius or time spent with people category to love. As broad as God's love is for people, um, that's the love we're to have. A wholehearted love for people. And how? Jesus says, verse 31, love your neighbor as yourself. So that means as much as I, lo- as I love me, as I would want done to me if I were in their shoes. Verse 31. Now, of course, there's lots that could be said here, but here are a few examples. Take, for example, evangelism, speaking to people about Jesus. A friend recently uh, went on a holiday destination. Um, he'd been there about 10 years ago before, uh, before he was a Christian. And he went back there on holiday, and he said, um, well, actually, 10 years ago, I would have loved someone there on holiday to tell me about Jesus. Um, so when I go back there, that's what I'm going to do. I want to tell someone there about Jesus. That's loving your neighbors yourself, as you would like to be. Consider church life. I guess this command of um, love, this is to be the beating heart of our church life. So a good question for all of us when we step into the church building, or perhaps the moment um, the service ends, is to ask, how would I like to be loved today? And then to go and do that to other people. If that's I don't know, encouraging someone with a kind word, and thanking that person who's been serving behind the scenes. Um, we're meeting someone perhaps who's here for the very first time on Sunday, Consider, um, actually, this is my first Sunday here. How would I like to be treated? And then doing that. And also, as we consider the most vulnerable in society, to take one example, how do I relate to refugees? Obviously, that will take uh, wisdom. It will look different uh, for different people. We don't have different opportunities, capacities. Not everyone can do everything. But Jesus' command means that my starting point is... I love God. I love people. Is there anything I can do? I don't know. Is that prayer? Uh, maybe for me, uh, maybe a bit of money? Is that time? Even a vocation? My starting point is I love God. I love people. Is there anything I can do? So two ways as we close to grow in loving people. Firstly, love in secret. And secondly, love the difficult. So firstly, loving in secret a friend um, told me just last week uh, that when he was in training for ministry himself, um, his particular uh, sending church denomination hadn't um, really given him enough money to live off, especially in the holidays. So things were just very tight financially. Um, he was very struggling. He had um, three children under the age of three, and things were very, very tight. And um, he got home one day, and he found on his front um, doormat an envelope, and he opened up inside, and it was full of money, just notes of money, enough to get them through the holidays easily. Now, there was no card with it, there was no name, no explanation. Five years later, he still has absolutely no idea who it was. No idea. Someone loved him secretly. And someone loved him, I guess, sacrificially and generously, knowing that he'd never know it was them. He'd never be able to thank them. And loving the difficult. I imagine we all probably have someone who springs to mind. Perhaps that person who doesn't give back much relationally to us. Someone we're just never quite going to click with. Someone who perhaps just demands far more than they give to us. Focus especially on growing in love for that person. Because 
loving the difficult and loving in secret, firstly, that will reveal if I'm doing this thing for, for God and for them, or if I'm doing it for me. It will reveal a lot about me. But more than that, secondly, it will, it will train me and teach me and focus me to love all people as God does. So how could you grow in loving people? So as we close, what do we need most? What's most important? Jesus' answer is love. Love for God with all of us. Love for people, for all people. So let's pray as we close that uh, we never become um, disciples or even a church who can forget what is most important. And that amongst all our activity, good things that we do, that love is the beating heart for us. Should we close in prayer? Father, we praise you so much that you have loved us so deeply. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Father, how we praise you for your deep, deep love for us. And so, Father, we pray that more and more we would love you with all of us and that we would love people, that we would love our neighbour as ourselves and that we do this for your glory, that you rescue us from ever possibly drifting into discipleship or church life where we do stuff but miss what is most important. Please may love be what most characterises us. For your glory. Amen.